This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're constantly on the hunt for a good deal, then you need Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because members get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, and more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores. Why not save while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Get the Rakuten app now and join the 17 million members who are already saving. Cashback rates change daily. See Rakuten.com for details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cash back really adds up. Let's face it. People have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com this episode of travel today with peter greenberg is brought to you by audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial it's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Coronado, California, the legendary Hotel Del Coronado. Remember the movie Some Like It Hot? Uh, it still works today. Every time I come down to San Diego, I'm always amazed at how much it's changed over a period of maybe even two weeks, especially in terms of, of the culinary offerings. When I first came down here in 1971 working for Newsweek, the definition of uh, sautéed was deep fried. Absolutely. 
right? And I'm talking to Troy Johnson, who's the food editor of San Diego Magazine. You agree wholeheartedly with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. We knew it was sauteed. And you're from San Diego. Yeah, we didn't have pots and pans, actually. We were churning our own <laughs> butter. The evolution has gone from churning your own butter to deep frying everything. And now we're back to churning your own butter because of the whole local food movement. Right. Make it your own, yeah. But, but the thing is, I mean, the food choices that I had back in 1971, even 1981, were not great. Oh, no, you had, to, you had to order your food. Almost every food edible in San Diego had to be ordered through the car window at a little box, you know, and you picked it up from a nice little gentleman in the, at the next window. I mean, really, we had nothing. We were backwater for years. I mean, yeah, I mean, you had, you had steak and potatoes and, mm-hmm. and, and mahi-mahi, I think. was the, the, Everything was mahi-mahi. Yeah, absolutely. Even when it wasn't mahi-mahi, they would say it was mahi-mahi and charge yeah. you $15 more. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, so we had, you know, what happened we really was with the Food Network, um, you know, and I'm a little bit biased here since I do a show with Food Network, but really Food Network uh, really affected the landscape of, of food across America. The secondary cities, which we definitely were, not just the New Yorks, not just the San Francisco's, not just, you know, the Chicago's, started getting their own food scenes. You know, real chefs started going, well, why do I have to be in L.A. when I have to fight against 43,000 new restaurants and Michelin stars falling out of the skies right. where I can go down to San Diego and actually make a dent, make a difference, and make a name for myself? So that happened about, about 10 years ago. And, of course, that coincided with the change in the infrastructure and just logistics where you could actually source anything from anywhere. Anywhere. I mean, in San Diego has 4,600 small farms, more than any county in wait, wait, America. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. 4,600 small farms. San Diego Nobody has. knows that. I know. You know that. Yeah, I know that. Now we know that. But yeah, the point know. is, I never would have guessed that because I don't look at San Diego as agricultural. Yeah. Up in the hills and around, but 90% of America's avocados is grown about 45 minutes up, up north, although they're starting to take them all out because they're water thirsty trees. And I don't know if we heard, we don't really have any water. Right. Now we do. Now that we're, we're done with the drought now. I know. You know, but, you know, and there's so many small farms. Every chef that's come here from LA from New York said I cannot believe the produce you can get here they can get strawberries in December you know our growing season is three times the length of anywhere especially sure. New York and that's just produce mm-hmm. but we're talking seafood yeah I mean we have some of the best old spiny lobsters um, in America us in Santa Barbara have these spiny lobsters they're sweeter lobsters than main lobsters honestly I prefer a main lobster but it's a good lobster you know and we have most uni in, Amer- in America as well so you get any of that uni, that sea urchin, that like buttery, delicious, you know. As uni would be. Exactly. Okay, yeah. fine. Just double checking. Yes, yes. I mean, we get some of the best seafood. And Baja right now is creating some of the well, best let's, seafood. Let's talk about Baja for a second. Yeah. Because people, if you don't think San Diego is agriculture, you have no idea what Baja is yeah. in terms of their wine production. Yep. Valle de Guadalupe, which is an hour and a half um, southeast of the border. It's an easy day trip. Well, anyway, we go... 20 minutes south of the border in Tijuana, there, yeah. there's cutting-edge cuisine there. The best thing that happened to Tijuana was the violence. And I've talked to multiple, Explain that. multiple chefs I've spoken with. They said, you know, our, Tijuana used to be a city built for Americans. It used to be a bunch of cheap tchotchkes and cheap thrills designed for American tourists to come down on the weekend and get their kicks off. You know, and once the tourists stopped coming because of the violence, they created an authentic culture for Tijuanans themselves. A more Mexican culture. They did real food and real art. Those really bad, cheesy shops that were selling right. trinkets got turned into art studios, got turned into, you know, like mini libraries, you know. And, and that's a day trip from San Diego. Exactly. And so that really boomed. So a lot of the chefs really did good work down there. I mean, I get so angry at so many of the stereotypes we seem to embrace. One of which being that San Diego is a guy with a sombrero, uh, you know, <laughs> or Tijuana is a guy with a sombrero, right. with a taco and an enchilada, yeah. and maybe, you know, a burrito world-class cuisine in Mexico. World-class. And in terms of violence, you know, there's still that, that, that... 
you know, reticence, you know, that kind of like uh, mist of, of fear that still, you know, surrounds Mexico, totally unwarranted because you have more of a chance of getting in a violent confrontation in St. Louis, Chicago, so many other cities right. in America than you do in Tijuana. You know, you go down there and you can get an eight course degustation menu where you're eating fresh seafood just picked from the day boat right there in Baja, delivered directly to the restaurants, and you're, you're paying like 60 bucks for eight courses. Whereas in America, you'd be paying 120. Of course. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. What a great job you have of San Diego Magazine because you got so many great choices here. It is. It is a great job. I eat at between five and 25 restaurants a week. And you only weigh 600 pounds. I, I, yeah, exactly. Well, I try it. I have a two-bite rule. I have to. Really? I'm a taster, not an eater. You know? Is that really true? It really is true. So I do two bites and nothing else. Because if I didn't, I'd be 400 pounds and my loved ones would not get sunlight they need to survive. But you explain that to the chefs so they don't think you're insulting them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so everybody knows. Everyone in town knows now. You know, like, I'm Just give me a tiny portion. because I don't So other restaurants have a two-drink minimum. You have a two-bite maximum. Exactly. Okay, I'm yeah. just double checking when you have that yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd put plants around me would not get photosynthesis if I was 450 pounds. You know, I mean, Earth would really suffer. So, yeah. All right. So now that you have all these choices, let's talk about some stuff that's not in the brochure. It's mm-hmm. not in the guidebooks. Let's say I had never been to San Diego. I'm coming to visit you for the first time. Where would you take me that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook? That could be, let's say, a dive, a real just hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. There's a little place right now. San Diego had never had any good barbecue, to be quite honest with you. Well, never. when you think barbecue, you don't think San Diego. No. You no. just don't. You think Texas. You think Lockhart. You think, you know, um, out in North Carolina. Or you think Kansas City. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a little place in North Park called Grand Old Barbecue. They've got a huge smoker now, and they're doing some of the most delicious brisket I have tasted since I went to Lockhart, Texas. And only time. two bites. And only two bites. That <laughs> one hurts, Peter. That one really hurts. But this brisket is just buttery and soft. And brisket's like a Picasso. Putting sauce on it is kind of like finger painting on a Picasso, right? You know, you just leave that meat and let it live on its own. It's fantastic meat. Grand Old Barbecue, North Park. North Park's kind of our hipster area, kind of our, you know, Brooklyn, our area where all the kids with the skinny jeans and the art degrees, you know, hang out. And they oh, make the people fun. I don't talk to. Yeah. yeah okay, just double check. They're too cool for me. Absolutely. Yeah, too yeah. cool for school. But the thing is, how long have these guys been in business? They've been in business now for about a year and a half. So they're brand new. Yeah, brand new. And, and then the place in San Diego now, which used to be the sleepiest part of town, where all the, we used to be the number one tuna fishing um, city in, in the world, you know, and all the boats would dock in Little Italy. So it created this great Italian culture, but the food scene there was just, oh, it was so bad. You know, let me tell you how bad it was. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. You know, you get out of the airport and you drive down Harbor Drive, mm-hmm. right? You know, going, yeah. and you pass by the old ships and yeah. there was that one seafood place. Oh. You know which one I'm talking about. Anthony's. Anthony's. Yeah. I mean, look, all due respect, yeah. it's, it's a legend there and the whole thing, yeah. but come on. They lost their lease. Did they really? Yeah. They're gone? Yeah, you know, and I think it, part, part of it had to, had to do with, you know, all respect to Anthony's. They've been a great family forever, but they did not do what they needed to do with that property. To it stay was, current. To stay current, exactly. So finally, the port came in and said, all right, we're going to give your lease to somebody else after 60 years. And they did. And they did. Who did they give it to? They gave it to the Brigantine Group, which is at a series of restaurants in San Diego. They're going to do like a huge multi-complex with four or five or six different uh, um, concepts right there in the water. So more crowds. Yeah, exactly. Okay. More crowds. So let's getting away from that, mm-hmm. right? Because you're talking about Little Italy with the tuna boats. Yeah. Where now? See, Little Italy is it now. 
Little Italy is definitely it. You have Richard Blaze from Top Chef and open up Juniper and Ivy over there, and he's got a fried chicken joint right in front of the, his. Um, By the way, when I think of San Diego, I also do not think of fried chicken. And nobody does. I know. You know, we like we like um, we like the kind of sweatpants food too. You know what I mean? Like you sit on your couch and you get greasy. We we do. Even though we have yoga pants and we appreciate kale, we also <laughs> we do not. Oh, stop right now. <laughs> we do not appreciate kale. I'm going to tell you. Listen, Troy. Here's my goal. Okay. Mm-hmm. The word gluten was not in my vocabulary 10 years ago. Yeah. It was nobody's vocabulary, right? Yeah. And everything's not. People just go to restaurants just for the hell of it. And go, I like gluten-free. They don't even know what it means. No. I don't like gluten-free. Well, I think that we should stop what we're doing and open up a restaurant chain, right? Called gluten? And, no, gluten for punishment. <laughs> oh! Oh, sir! And, it, and it's a total all-gluten, all-you-can-eat restaurant. Oh, and let's let's, let's go. Let's completely just do the the flashback stuff. Let's just do absolutely that right? and um, gluten for punishment. Yeah, 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 yeah. That and like we'll we'll serve Wonder Bread too. I think. You oh, know? Yeah. Well, actually, Wonder <laughs> Bread only on special order. Okay. Because it has a nuclear half life. You know, it does. That, yeah. Well, that's a great thing. I will say this to my mother. My mother was not a good cook. I mean, and even she would tell you this. But even she said to me, under no this is back in the 1950s and the 1960s, under no circumstances will you ever eat Wonder Bread. But the greatest thing about Wonder Bread is really just balling it up balling, and, it's, 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 and throwing it at people <laughs> it's true you know i have never told this story on the air but i will now do you remember their commercial wonder bread builds strong bodies 12 ways that was their thing and they were the big sponsor of the howdy doody show with okay. buffalo bob yeah. and clarabelle and the, the puppets and stuff and i got picked one day to go to that show and be in the in the peanut gallery the show and i'm sitting right behind buffalo bob and i'd been brought up by my mother to hate wonder bread right it was the worst piece of anything in the world Absolutely. right so i'm sitting there in the front row of the gallery and here's buffalo bob talking about wonder bread builds strong body so always and I'm, I'm in the background no it doesn't it doesn't I'm, I'm i'm shaking my hand you never saw me in the second part of the show i was removed from the show because in those days the sponsor sat in the booth with the, with the producers uh-huh. and they saw this idiot kid with freckles waving off wonder bread saying don't come near this crap <laughs> That was you it. Know, chia seeds are the future. That's right. I, I've seen it. I'm going to open Whole Foods. Well, maybe it builds um, strong bodies because you do ball it up. And you, you throw it, it at it's people. It's actually an exercise It's tool. an exercise. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like the shake weight. Do food. they still make Wonder Bread? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They do. See, I, I, oh, yeah. I, I, I have a block. I can't do it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I it's can't PTSD. Yeah. 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 Post Wonder Bread yeah. SD. <laughs> All right. So forgetting kale uh-huh. and forgetting gluten-free. Yeah. What's your other cool go-to place that nobody knows? Real fast. Go-to place that nobody knows in San Diego. There's a little place down in, and this is not kale and gluten-free whatsoever. There's a lamb barbecue place down in Chula Vista. It's called um, Aqui, Aqui, which is here in Spanish. Es Texcoco. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. You know, when we talk about the whole San Diego area, I remember when I first came to California, I was working for Newsweek. I flew down here on PSA and uh, from L.A. to San Diego, a 20-minute flight on a 727. I was sitting on the right side of the plane, and before I knew it, I was flying right over Balboa Park. And when I say right over, I mean right over. And then right over a shell station, and then right on the on the runway, and and um, and what's amazing to me is is that most people that's how they see things. They fly over it, they don't see it, and uh, and Balboa Park is is a treasure here in in San Diego. And joining me now, who's the senior partner, senior principal, as opposed to a junior principal. I only want senior principals on this show, of heritage architecture and planning. But the man who knows everything there is to know about Balboa Park is David Marshall. How are you? 
I'm very good. Thank you. I mean, you heard my intro about flying over it. That's how most people see it. They fly over it. Yeah, that's their introduction to San Diego and downtown. Uh, you're not flying to the outskirts. You're flying right to the center. Exactly. And yet, you know, you are one of the captains of what we would call preservation architecture. So how have you been able to maintain all that is about Balboa Park? Well, uh, it, San Diego is a great history. It's, it's really considered the birthplace of California. So not only do we have the first California mission, but we have a, a lot of early developments. And I think San Diego has been a pretty good uh, example of uh, protecting the best buildings. And so, you know, we require uh, good clients in order to hire us and, and help us save their buildings. But I mean, Balboa Park goes back, what, to 1868? Yeah, it was first established as a city park uh, very early on, a 1,600-acre park right next to downtown. And uh, it's, it's, you know, been altered over the years. There's a couple of freeways that cross through it now. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> but uh, the heart of the park and uh, the part of the park that has the exposition grounds is very much intact and a great historical, uh, you know, example. And people forget there was a World's Fair. Yeah, actually two. Uh, there was the 1915 uh, Panama, California Exposition. And then in 1935, 20 years later, there was the uh, California Pacific International Expo. Now... Not far from that, of course, is Gaslight. Yep, Gaslight Quarter is in the heart of downtown uh, uh, Fifth Avenue, and uh, it's a great collection of historic buildings, some from as, uh, as early as the 1880s uh, all the way up into the 1930s and beyond. And uh, it's really San Diego's, uh, you know, it's kind of like our French Quarter. And yet what I really love about San Diego, especially that area, is you can walk from whatever hotel you're staying at, walk across the train tracks. Now you're in Gaslight. A block away, you're at the stadium. I yeah. mean, it's all the, and the convention center is right there. Yeah. I mean, it's all walkable, which in California, people don't do that. Yeah, yeah. California is known as car culture, but uh, in San Diego, uh, you know, you could, Balboa Park is right on the edge of downtown, but you could, uh, I, I end up walking from my office to the building department and to uh, various other offices and, uh, and to clients. And so I, I take advantage of that as much as possible. Of course, I'm going to date myself to say I grew up watching Joan Embry on The Tonight Show who basically branded <clears throat> the San Diego Zoo. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize San Diego Zoo is in Balboa Park. It's kind of its own uh, oasis, but uh, it's within the boundary of Balboa Park, and it's been a real important part of San Diego's uh, you know, identity. Now, when you take a look at all these things that are available to you, all these experiences, all these architectural preservation projects that you've been able to maintain, what's the favorite one for you? What's the one that you go, this is by far the one that exemplifies what we've been trying to do here? Well, uh, I, think, I think that would be the House of Hospitality, which is in Balboa Park. It's the home of the Prado Restaurant and the Visitor Center. It's a, a building that was built originally in 1915 for the first exposition, and it was built as a temporary structure. And uh, our job, we were brought on board in the early 90s to basically make it permanent. So we had to completely dismantle it save all of the original pieces, and build so you a went new down building. The, you really went down to the bones. Uh, well, we actually had a big hole in the ground when we, when we, were, uh, when we were done because we were building a new basement. But we salvaged everything that could be salvaged. We needed to make it permanent, and we needed to make it uh, you know, accurate to what it was in 1915. And you had to make it perform to code. Yeah, exactly. We had Small to, minor detail. <laughs> right. We added elevators and fire sprinklers and air conditioning and uh, disabled access. Uh, and so now the, uh, the, the proudest moment was when it reopened. And people who hadn't seen it uh, you know, in a couple of years thought it was the same building, but just really well uh, preserved and maintained. Oh, well, that's fact. your biggest pride that you were able to pull that off. You could, you could, yeah. you could disguise it. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it looks <clears> like <throat> the building did in 1915. We're talking with David Marshall, who's the senior principal. Is there a junior principal? There is not a junior principal, no. There are principals, 
uh, and senior principals. But as long as we have the choice, we'll call you senior, okay? Uh, that's, uh, that's fine. It's called Heritage Architecture and Planning. But you've done all this research on Balboa Park, so when people come to visit you who are not from San Diego, where do you take them? Well, I, Balboa Park is, uh, is what I always recommend. But where in Balboa Park? Uh, well, uh, I, I think the, what we call El Prado, which is kind of the main boulevard that cuts through the park. Uh, that's a great pedestrian uh, a gateway. Actually, crossing over the Cabrillo Bridge uh, is really uh, probably the most spectacular entrance to any World's Fair uh, because you're crossing over this bridge, a big canyon, and then these buildings start to reveal themselves, these great Spanish palaces. And so uh, I, I think and that's the And the, the place. Spanish influence is huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, the, uh, the architecture of Balboa Park was brought uh, by a New York architect named Bertram Goodhue. An out-of-stater? Uh, oh, yeah, out-of-stater. But he, was, uh, he, he won the commission. And, and, but he was very much uh, uh, charmed by the Spanish colonial revival architecture that he'd seen. And he knew that San Diego had not only the Hispanic heritage, but it also had the right uh, environment, uh, the right um, uh, climate for such architecture with the open courtyards and arcades and, uh, you know, the blue skies and everything else. And it was a, a great mix, and it really influenced California architecture in, in all the decades since. And you've been able to preserve all of that, just about. Uh, yeah. I mean, there were some buildings that were lost in the 60s that really uh, kind of spearheaded the preservation movement in San Diego, which is when nationwide— That's how, lessons, that's how lessons get learned and applied. Exactly. You know, it's like we can't lose <clears throat> any more of these buildings. And so since that point, all of the buildings have been retained and restored and sometimes reconstructed. But now they're all back, just about. Yeah, it's a really—it's it's, uh, the most complete collection of, of exposition buildings that I've ever seen uh, because most expos are temporary. They're just kind of stage sets. Think of the Chicago, famous Chicago Expo. Hey, we're still looking at the decrepit mm -hmm. remains of the 1964 World's Fair in New York. They're still there, yeah. but they're not being used. Yeah, exactly. And what's great about Balboa Park is it's changed its use. I mean, the military during World War I and World War II actually occupied the park. But uh, the parks or the buildings uh, now are almost all museums. And all open to the public. Yeah. yeah. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Uh, my next guest, like so many Californians, ain't from here. <laughs> Valparaiso, Indiana. There you go. Pronounced correctly. Uh, you sure did. But 13 years later, here she is. Right? In I'm San Diego, here. the publisher of Modern Luxury Magazine, not only here, but also Orange County. That's right. I mean, I remember when I first came to San Diego, and this goes back to 1971, you know, uh, uh, Richard Nixon was, uh, was president. Um, he uh, was hanging out in San Clemente. So I was covering the White House all the time. Uh, but San Diego did not look anywhere near what it looks like today. There was no infrastructure, really. It was a Navy base. And people would get tattoos, and and they and, and they'd live in Oceanside and commute, and and you had Camp Pendleton on the way down. But 
Wow. And of course, you always, got, you always had the Hotel Del Coronado. It's been around for a long, long time. A very long time. Right? And over 700 rooms. But even they've expanded and gone mm-hmm. through a major renovation. Mm-hmm. What's really changed? Uh, that's a big question. I think everything has changed in San Diego over the last few years. Um, it's, it's incredible. Uh, the lifestyle here is just something that is you, you can't compare it to anything else um I've, I've lived in a lot of different places across the country and uh you know 13 years ago i moved here and didn't leave and i didn't leave because it's amazing <laughs> so everything has changed uh, the the culture has changed the food has changed um everything about it is has has been different over the last yeah when years. i first came here 71 everything was deep fried mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's like cutting edge cuisine. Oh, yeah. California coastal cuisine is a really big deal. Um, We're a hotbed for, um, you know, the show uh, Top Chef. There's several Top Chefs who now have restaurants here in San Diego. It's really exciting. And of course, here at the Hotel Del Coronado, here's a hotel that's over 100 years old. They, I mean, it, people show up here for everything. Uh, you know, uh, it's incredible. I mean, in, a, in, a, in a given week, you're here a lot. Oh, gosh. I'm. You know, I was, um, you know, just talking about the clam bake they do in the summertime. And, um, you know, clam bakes sound kind of corny, but I have to tell you. No, they're you, not. They're not. It is not a corny situation at all I will all go to here. any clam bake anytime. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the Hotel Coronado does it in, a, in a, such an exquisite way. Um, I was just here over the weekend for... Um, a big gala that's 108 years old. People don't think of San Diego as having legacy things like that, um, but it's 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 pretty great. Well, there is society here. There is society here, uh, and and I enjoy. Um, you report on it too. Roaming around in it, yes. <laughs> now, speaking of being a 13 year veteran, now <laughs> right, right. In many California cases, that does qualify you as a veteran. If I was just visiting San Diego for the first time and I said, "Hey, Jessica." Where are we going to go? Where Where are you going to take me? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, you, you should definitely get a good night's sleep because there's a lot to do here. Um, first of all, the food scene, as we were talking about earlier, the California coastal cuisine is just incredible. But tell me someplace that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook that you hang out at. Jessica Klein, publisher of Modern Luxury Magazine. <laughs> goes where it's not in the brochure. You know, there's this place in La Jolla called Sugar and Scribe that See, now I we're absolutely okay. love. Um, Why? I love it because um, there's a lot of passion there. Um, and oddly, I, I, it's so funny, she actually had a show on the Food Network or appeared on one of those shows of the Food Network. It's a bakery, but the food is incredible. It's colorful. It's fun. Um, it's just different than anything else you get. And the signature dish you order there? Oh my gosh, yesterday I had um, the, the beef stew. I wore a flannel shirt and went for beef stew for the day. Yeah, you have to wear, if you don't order the beef stew, get the Pendleton out and wear it, right? Did you have the work boots on too? Uh, you yeah. know, I was channeling How my... How do you handle a hungry man? <laughs> I was channeling my inner Indiana. <laughs> see, you can't get rid of that. I can't get rid of it. You needed substance. <laughs> now you see, in typical California style, if the temperature drops below 60, people catch pneumonia here. Yeah, they do, and uh, their Ugg boots come out in a big way. Uh, my, my dad thinks it's hilarious when you see a woman in San Diego who's wearing boots and shorts at the same time. He thinks that's the most hilarious thing he's ever seen, but it's so true. Okay, so we talked about this hidden restaurant. What's your hidden experience? You know, um, it, it's it's not really hidden, but uh, the the culture here is really incredible. Balboa Park is one of my favorite places to go. Um, the there there's so many things to do there. Um, you know what I do when I go to Balboa Park? I just me. look up to watch all the planes coming right over me to Lindbergh Field. Yeah, that's that's also an experience too. And if you're not ready for it, it'll scare you. It'll land right on your head. It, right on your head. <laughs> there used to be. I think it's still there. There was a Shell gas station at the end of the runway. 
right? And people would just be there minding their own business, filling up their tank, and all of a sudden, whoom, and this plane would literally come out over. People would like drop their nozzles. You well, know? that's what, one of the great things about it. You can fly into San Diego, and, and within 20 minutes from leaving the airport, uh, or from less, your bag, or less, right? You you're on the airport. 20 minutes later, you're having a beer at your favorite favorite bar. The most convenient airport. Oh, the best. Although there's a, there's another little secret about San Diego. You know about the CBX? The Cross Border yes, Express? Yes, I've done it. We went down there and crossed the bridge. All of a sudden, you're in the Tijuana airport, it's and really you can fun. go anywhere you want to fly. Yeah, it's, it's really unbelievable. Fun. Yeah, the food scene in Tijuana is really terrific, too. Cutting yeah. edge. Yeah, yeah. It's really great. cutting edge. Javier Placencia and Mission 19. Oh, no, I, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. And the thing that's amazing about those restaurants is... No, it's, we're not talking tacos and tortillas no, here. No, 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 no. This yeah. is new wave, great stuff. Absolutely. World class. Yeah. Jessica Klein, the Indiana transplant. <laughs> there you go. Keep that going. This is flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle. David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole thing. The last time we came down to, uh, to Coronado and actually broadcast from this hotel, I was brought aware, uh, made aware, of a great program that the hotel is also involved in, but people overlook, they don't understand how important it is. And uh, my next guest is the chief executive officer of United Through Reading, and it's not what you think. That name is actually misleading. Sally Zal, tell me, what is United Through Reading? Because it's a very cool thing. Uh, United Through Reading actually unites our military families through the process of reading aloud together. And so if you're a serviceman or woman who's uh, halfway around the world serving our country and you have a family at home, we provide the opportunity for you to be video recorded reading a storybook and we send the video and the book home to the kiddos. How cool. How long have you been doing this? Uh, about 28 years. Wow. I wish you had more visibility because that is such an important thing to do because it keeps families together. It allows them to bond. And, it, you know, look, at the end of the day, for me, the key to almost everything is effective storytelling. You know, it's, it's when you get to tell stories to people, when you have conversations. That's what you guys are doing. Oh, you said that so beautifully. That's a great tagline, Peter. Um, that's exactly what we're doing. We're allowing our families to tell stories. And... Tell me how it works. Uh, so if you're on a ship and you're leaving uh, Coronado and you're on the big carrier and you're gone for seven, eight months, we ha make sure that the ship has all the equipment, the books, the videos, uh, the DVDs, the And the envelopes, Navy's been cooperative with this. All, all the branches of service, but absolutely the Navy was our first, uh, sort of our cornerstone. Well, because that's, the, here is the, the right Navy. Here. Exactly. Yeah, right get, there. You, you can can't look, look right at San there. Diego without seeing Navy. Exactly. Yeah. And so they take it on board and we get, we train volunteers. So sailors who are actually working 12 hours a day on that ship will raise her hand and say, I will also volunteer to run this program. And we might have 10 or 12 sailors who run the program the entire time they're deployed. So they video it? Yep. And then they send it home on a DVD. And the reason I, I'll be upfront about the DVD, um, because that's pretty old technology, quite frankly. By the it, way, I still have an eight track player. So <laughs> well, we're okay. there you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, DVD makes it uh, reliable and repeatable for the child. If dad Skypes home, it's gone. It's a one time deal. Exactly. But it, when the child needs daddy, when the child is lonesome, when he wakes up from his nap, he's getting ready to go to bed and he wants daddy put in the DVD. Okay. So stupid question. 
Who picks the books? Who picks the stories? We uh, have a great vetting system. We have uh, librarians and educators who actually look at new books as well as the old classics. So you, you know? have Dr. Seuss, of course. Of course, of course. And the Dr. Seuss Foundation. Do we have the little engine that could? We do. We that, do. We have okay, classics. I'm feeling are, are so you better. You're good with that? <laughs> oh, I'm very good with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, guess how much I love you. You know, just some of the real classic How about books. this? Good Night Moon? Good Night Moon. Okay. Absolutely. We're good. Okay. Uh, uh, this is, um, I'm regressing right now. You'll have to excuse me. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, give a mouse a cookie. You know, some real classics. The other thing we try to do is if you're deployed and you know your child's six years old and you, you're most likely going to miss, miss a birthday, the, miss, miss, the birthday, birthday. miss the first time they uh, lose a tooth, miss riding a two-wheel bike. So we get Duck on a Bike, which is how a duck learns to ride a bike. Or we have a book about losing your first tooth. And so we have those on board for the commands too so they can choose that and say, hey, buddy, I just heard you lost your tooth. Let's read this book. So how many people are you actually reaching? We reach about 100,000 military family members a year. Year. A year? A year. Is it just out of San Diego or is it worldwide? No, sir. It's worldwide. Uh, with the Navy, we work out of the Northwest, of course, and then Norfolk, Virginia, which is another large uh, naval station. And we serve the Army, uh, the Air Force, the Coast Guard out of San Diego and the, and the East as well. Okay. I'm, I'm going to get some, in, in, in some inter-service rivalries here. Who are the best readers? <laughs> Uh, I'm Army, so I'd a- absolutely have to say a soldier. <laughs> With all due respect, sir. <laughs> See, I got a sir. Nobody ever, in the history of this radio show, no one's ever called me sir. Well, there you go. So I'll salute you back. <laughs> there, there you go. You go. Uh, but point is, not everybody's a good reader. You know what? That is a great point that you make, Peter. And we actually train our volunteers. If you see a young uh, young enlisted young guy, I mean, he could be 18 years old, uh, and you could tell that he's uncomfortable. He's not ever really had been around books. You can talk about, you don't have to read every word. You can talk about the pictures. Oh, look, doesn't this look like the dog that, you know, mommy got you? Or, got it. You know, so we try to make them at as ease as they possibly can How be. How do my listeners get involved? Oh, gosh. Go to our website, uh, United Through reading.org. There are ways to uh, tell the word, spread the word. If you know somebody in the service, you, the first thing you say is, do you know about United Through Reading? And if not, go to this website and they can find out how to use the program. Second of all, of course, we are 100% funded by individual donors, foundations, and corporations. We get no government money whatsoever. So you can donate to your website. That would be great. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Uh, every time I come down here, I got to get this guy on the air with me. Uh, there's a there's a there's a family connection as well as uh, a history connection. You know, when people think about uh, surfing and they think about Southern California, they mostly think about Huntington Beach, uh, Surf City, USA. We've done the show from there many times, and that's where the Surfing Hall of Hall of Fame is. In fact, in the interest of full disclosure, my uncle's in that Hall of Fame, uh, David Rockland, who started a who well one of the original Beach Boys here in, in Santa Monica, and then sailed over to Hawaii and basically worked the beach in front of the Royal Hawaiian and surfed with all the greats. Uh, uh, my cousin, still one of the great surfers, who's all over the place, is crazy enough as a kite surfer as he is. He surfs the channel between Molokai and Honolulu. It's crazy. But my next guest, if you want to do anything about surfing in this part of the world, you come see my next guest, Gnarly Neil. How are you, man? Great. Excellent. I mean, you teach people how to do it, man. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. What's changed about the surf down here? What's changed about the way you surf down here? hasn't changed that much. Uh, we definitely teach a lot of people from all over the United States, uh, not many locals, because locals don't come to Coronado to learn how to surf. Uh, they go other areas, which are nicer. Uh, 
as far as maybe like La Jolla, things like that. Right. But for here, perfect place to learn how to surf. Because it's not too rough? No, it's not rough at all. Yeah. Nice, not, comes in nice, peels real nice, no rocks, all sand. But we're not just talking surfing, you're talking paddling? Paddleboarding. Kayaking. Because paddleboarding, paddleboarding uh, is great on the ocean side, but also if you walk across the street, there's the bay. So I learned, bay. before I learned how to surf, I was on the old longboards. I was on the 15-foot mahogany, original Hawaiian longboards with no skeg. Uh, people surfed on them, but I learned how to paddle on them. You lie flat down, your chest gets raw because you're rubbing up against wood, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and you just, you're just out there all day long paddling. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. But that's how they used to surf. I, when I first went surfing, I surfed. They weighed 140 pounds, these boards. <laughs> and I, don't, I still don't understand how I was able to carry them all the way from the bay to the ocean to get them in the water. But then once you got them in the water, you couldn't cut. You couldn't turn. There was no skeg. You just went where the wave took you. Yeah. And God forbid you got hit by one, by the board, you were done for the day. <laughs> right? Well. Those things have changed. <clears throat> those things have changed. Excuse me. Yeah. As far as, you know, the board technology and stuff like that, the boards have gotten a lot lighter, uh, which is a lot easier when you're out there paddling. Just to get out to the waves. Yeah. And they've come up with soft boards that are long boards for people that want to learn, you know, or if you... you what know, do you mean inflatables? Yeah. No, no, no. Actually soft foam boards. Oh, really? Made out of foam. You know, it, I'm looking at the, the, the stand-up paddle boards that are now, some of them are inflatable too. Oh, yeah. 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 The stand-up paddle boards. Um, like I said, for Coronado, if you go across the street, there's the bay and you can paddleboard on the bay also. And it's a lot easier. Easier. It's not as rough. There's not many people around. So, so who are you teaching? Right now, um, I am teaching just about everyone, but I'd say the biggest percentage are people over 40, which is... So people who are just on the verge of orthopedic surgery. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make sure we have the... We're, we're exactly. Clear. I mean, you know, people come to me all the time and say, well, I'm, I too, too old? I'm too old. You know, I go, no, it's never too old. Who's, the, too who's old. the oldest guy you're teaching? 84. Really? Yeah. And did he get up? He's, yep. He stayed out the entire time. I was blown away. And he was in shape, so. Well, that I mean, helps. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's really in shape, but he stayed out the entire time, hour and a half. Wow. He, yeah, the whole time. That blew me away. Now, here's the thing that always amazes me. The guys who surf with their dogs. To me, that's the most amazing circus act ever. Yeah. Because one bad wave, they're both in the water. Yeah. Do you teach guys with their dogs? I've never, ta I've never taught that before. <laughs> no, I've never taught that before. I'd like to. That'd be kind of cool, but no, I've, I've never done that. But also, the, you know, the youngest person I've taught is my son. And I put him on a board at two and a half. And he's still surfing. And he's still surfing. Now, there are some shipwrecks out here. Yes. There's one that I know about that goes back to what, the 1920s? Yes. Tell Correct. me about that one. That one is a little bit south of the Hotel Del Coronado, probably about 200 yards south. That's not far. Yeah. And it's buried in the sand. So during the winter, when the waves come in heavy and bring the sand and you can't see it, come spring, summer... It starts pulling the sand back out to the ocean, and you can see it on really low tide if you go out there. Super low tide, and you'll see it's, it was a stern wheeler, so you could see the stern wheel. Oh, it's still it, there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's there. Yeah. Buried in the sand. Wow. Yeah. So it's a ghost ship. It's a ghost ship. Totally yeah. ghost ship, yeah. as the hotel itself is considered haunted, too. Yes. So it's a nice companion piece. Exactly. exactly. How long will it take somebody to learn how to surf? Uh, first lesson. You'll so, get them up? Yeah. So our lessons are an hour and a half. So you, wait, this is a guarantee from you? No guarantees. Death and taxes, but you know, uh, pretty much. I mean, I, I, I push them, you know, if, if uh, they don't stand up, I give them a little bit of longer of a lesson. I don't tell them that. Right. 
So basically you're saying you'll stay here until... Exactly. Okay, got it. Because you don't know what time it is out there. Exactly. So I just extend it a little bit. Cool. Gnarly Neil, who's been teaching out here how long? Uh, 17 years. And they haven't found out yet. It's amazing. (laughs) You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.